Welcome to The Snap with Alexis Perry and Sydney Jones. Hello, everyone, and thank you so much for tuning in to the Broncos Podcast Network for another edition of The Snap. I'm Alexis Perry, joined by the one and only Sydney Jones. And of course, we have another fun show planned for you today. ESPN's Cameron Wolf will hop on to get you set for Sunday's matchup against the Miami Dolphins. And then we will get to know Suzanne Smith, the director for NFL on CBS. She's going to join us to talk about her inspirational career here in just a little bit. But first, our quick snap of the day. Sydney, you made the trip to Las Vegas over the weekend. I know there were no fans in the stands, but what was that game day experience like at Allegiant Stadium? Yeah, Alexis, sadly there were no fans, but the new stadium is absolutely insane. I've been looking forward to that game all season just so I could see it in person. And I have to say the pictures don't do it justice. Any of those models we'd seen in the off season don't do it justice at all. I almost felt like I was kind of in another dimension. I know that sounds weird, but the stadium was really futuristic and very sleek. You know, I did a pregame hit with one of the other reporters and our senior writer, and I told them the outside kind of looks like an in-between of a spaceship and one of those robot vacuums, the Roomba. (laughs) I don't know if you have one of those, Alexis, but it looks, it kind of looks like that. And it's funny, but that's really the best way I could describe it. And You know, it's definitely an upgrade from the black hole in Oakland, and I think it'll be interesting to see what it's like when it's packed full of fans. Alexis, I know you know what the fans were like in Oakland, so I'm curious to see if it'll be the same environment here in Vegas. I actually think it's going to be somewhat similar. I don't think it's going to have, you know, that grungy vibe that the black hole had at the Coliseum, but that is such a passionate fan base. I have a feeling that those folks are going to make that trip from Oakland, the Bay Area, to Las Vegas. It's such a fun city to go and visit. I know Broncos fans are really looking forward to that trip at least once a year, obviously. So, you know, I just really wish that the Broncos would have actually just gone into Vegas, though, their very first trip and gotten a win. Sadly, this team suffered a really frustrating and brutal 37 to 12 loss to their AFC West foe. So, Sydney, what are you really hoping that this team learned from that loss? Yeah, Alexis. Well, I'm hoping that there's a lot the Broncos learned from this loss, to be quite honest with you. But I'm going to focus on two things for this show. You know, the the offense really, really needs to get going earlier. And I think that's something they've needed to improve upon the past four games or so. You know, this was their fourth straight game in which the Broncos were down heading into the second half, which not only gives the opposing team momentum heading into the third quarter, but it leaves the Broncos feeling somewhat already defeated with, you know, half of the game left to play. And then second, the Broncos run defense. They 100% need to improve on that. Even Vic Fangio said after the game on Sunday that the Broncos didn't play well against the run. And I realize we've been without key players on our starting defensive line, but the Raiders rushed for 203 yards on Sunday. The second time in the past three weeks, the Broncos have allowed at least 200 yards, you know, but despite the loss and improvements the team will look to make this week. I was able to talk to Don Reisner after the game on Sunday, and he said something that I honestly really needed to hear, and I think Broncos country needs to hear as well. You know, he said, we're not giving up on each other, and we're not giving up on this organization. You know, we're going to look back on these days when we were three and six and think that's what made us who we are. And I honestly, I couldn't agree with him more. And I think we really need to stay optimistic for this team. 
Yeah, I think it really is key for everyone in Broncos country to be optimistic. I think 2021 is so funny. We talk about it on Broncos Beat a lot. You know, over this offseason, it was something that James Palmer from the NFL Network kept bringing up. He's like, you know, 2020, as much as we want this to be the season for this team, really, you got to look ahead to 2021 because we're still trying to figure out if Drew Locke is the guy. So Drew Locke's still in the midst of his audition. I really think he's going to pick it up here in the second half of the season. Uh, And then also, I really think it'd be nice to get guys like Shelby Harris back in the lineup. He is probably going to miss this week again with COVID-19, but hopefully next week things can kind of start getting back on track for that defensive line. Unfortunately, just in general, things are not going to get much easier for the Broncos here on out with the third toughest remaining schedule in the National Football League. And this week will be another challenge with Tua Tungavailoa and the Miami Dolphins making their way to the Mile High City. So here to get us up to speed on the fins, we have ESPN's very own Cameron Wolf, who you probably remember from his two seasons covering the Denver Broncos for the Denver Post. Cameron, how have you been? Awesome. Uh, Glad to talk to you guys again. I had a lot of fun years in Denver, so it's uh, fun to kind of see this matchup from the other side. So uh, looking forward to it. Well, I know we all miss you here in Denver, but it has to be fun covering this Miami team this season. Currently six and three, riding a five game win streak, not to mention they're three and L with Tua as a starter. I mean, it's safe to say it's been a whirlwind down there, Cameron. Oh, it's been crazy. Tua mania has been erupting all over the place. You know, everybody is is trying to compare him to Dan Marino already. And I'm like, hold up, chill out, chill out, calm down right now. But it, it's been fun. I mean, this is a team that hasn't been, uh, had anything really to be excited about in 20 years. You know, they've been sort of in mediocrity. So the hope is here. You know, they're winning. They've won five straight. Like you said, Tua's playing well. It looks like they have the right coach. It looks like they have the right quarterback. So for them, everything's coming together at one, and they're just hoping to see it to the end. And not everybody's talking playoffs around here. Yeah, being from Florida and hearing them compare Tua to Dan Marina, I'm like, blow your roll here. (laughs) We've only seen a couple of games as Tua as a starter. But I think we were all a little surprised when Ryan Fitzpatrick was sidelined. You know, after two blowout wins over the 49ers and the Jets, I mean, even Fitz was stunned by it. What do you think sparked the sudden change at quarterback? And how do you think Tua has really changed this offense over the last three games? Yeah, that's definitely been a spark point of the season, right? Uh, Everybody was looking at that move and was like, what is going on? How is this going to interrupt the locker room and everything? And I I think when you look at the move, they felt like they had to see Tua now. You know, this is a team that's planned for the future over the last two years. Last year, they were getting laughed at, calling calling them tanking, and they were the laughing stock of the league, and everything was a long-term play. And I think this move was too. You know, Ryan Fitzpatrick had been playing extremely well, but they figured Tua is going to be our guy you know, 10 years from now, five years from now, next year. So let's start the clock now. And they felt like Tua was ready, ready to be able to contribute and play well. And so far they've been right. And the locker room has been behind both behind both of those guys. So I think it's worked out well. You know, you've got a guy like Tua who has some athleticism, some mobility that, that Fitzpatrick doesn't, and it opens up another element of the offense. So I think the big thing for them is they feel like their ceiling with Tua is probably higher than it might have been with Fitz. Well, Tua has really avoided pressure so far this season, only facing pressure about 18% of the time. That's the fifth lowest in the league. So is that really the key for Denver's defense this week to just get some pressure on him? 
yeah, that has been the key. You know, that he's he's played really good inside the pocket and outside the pocket when there's four or less defenders coming across him. So I definitely think that they want to make Tua comfortable. And when he's comfortable, he has a clean pocket. So teams haven't really been effective in finding ways to um, send blitzes at him. So I think that's something if I was the, Dolph- the Broncos defense this week, how can I send different looks at him, different blitzes that he may not expect? He's still a rookie, even though he came from Alabama where he was super seasoned. If you throw different looks at a rookie quarterback, that's often when you get him to make mistakes. And the, Dol- the Dolphins have been effective because they've made it easy on his plate. They've had really good defensive play and special teams play. So he hasn't had to be a superhero in every game. If you're the Broncos, you want him to try to be a superhero and see if you can force him into some mistakes if he's trying to make all these big plays down the field well given the fact that we don't see the Miami Dolphins very often who are some of Tua's greatest weapons right now yeah you're probably going to want to look at Devontae Parker he's his number one receiver he's a big guy six foot three on the outside he likes to throw him a lot of you know jump balls in the red zone Um, he caught one last week that was ruled out of bounds that was a spectacular one-handed grab that's what they like to do with that big receiver. And there's another guy who's the opposite. He's a five, seven receiver, a speedy guy um, who is on the other end of the spectrum named Jakeem Grant, who they like to get, get the ball to. So those are his main two weapons. They like to throw it to the tight end, Mike Gesicki as well. Um, but mostly the way you see the Dolphins offense r- running is a lot of those RPOs. They like to get the defense in conflict, faking the run, uh, faking the pass, getting things so that you don't know where it's going. Um, so I'm expecting a lot of that Sunday uh, against the Broncos. Yeah, you mentioned Devontae Parker. I have to ask about him and his nephew, Jakeem Grant. I see his Uncle Vontae show that he posts on social media all the time. How fun is that duo in Miami? There, it's incredibly fun because they're two completely different personalities, right? So like you said, Devontae Parker has the show, and um, but he's really quiet. He's a, a really an introvert. He doesn't like to open up a lot. He's not going to be super talkative. Jakeem Grant's the complete opposite. You let him talk, he will talk your ear off for about five minutes, super confident, a guy who thinks he's the best receiver in the world, and he'll let you know it. So they really offset each other really well, and that's why they have that uncle-nephew relationship. Um, and I think it helps out on the field, too because when one player makes a big play you see them all pumping each other up and it elevates the energy level of the team well on the defensive side of the ball the Dolphins are stout they even spent some money adding Byron Jones to the cornerback room this offseason now they have two shut down corners so do you see any weaknesses within that Dolphins defense that the Broncos might actually be able to expose or take advantage of this week Yeah, the two things that have really hurt the Dolphins' defense this year has been uh, running quarterbacks. Mobile quarterbacks have really ate them up. Um, So, you know, um, Kyler Murray ran for over 100 yards against them. Josh Allen nearly had 100 yards. Cam Newton had about 75 yards. So when they face those quarterbacks that run, particularly on design runs, their defense is super aggressive. So that's where you can attack them on the edges. And, And secondly, their run defense has been a little iffy as well, just with typical running backs. So I think if I was the Broncos, I might want to try to slow the game down, take pressure off of uh, your quarterback, because what they do do well is sending a lot of pressure and sending a lot of heat. So especially, you know, with Drew Locke, I'm not sure if he's going to end up playing or not, but whether it's him or the backup quarterback, I think you're looking at a situation where hand the ball off, you know, Philip Lindsay, have him get involved. Phil. <laughs> Feed Phil a lot and then try to get some mobility with that quarterback, you know, whether it's design runs or scrambling outside the pocket. I think that's the way that you can have some success against this Dolphins defense. 
well, like you mentioned earlier, a dangerous Miami Dolphins team isn't something that we're really used to seeing. They haven't won the division since 2008. They're currently battling it out with the Buffalo Bills down the stretch. So do you actually believe that this Dolphins team is the real deal? I do. I, you know, I spent the last three or four weeks waiting for them to fall back down to earth. You know, I was like, oh, man, at some point they're going to lay an egg, right? It's the Dolphins. The Dolphins always seem to fall down back down to earth. But I, I, I'm on the boat. I'm a believer. I think they are um, a year earlier than I thought they were going to be. I thought they would make improvement, but I didn't think they were going to make a playoff push. But the way they're playing, and particularly it, it's been the full team. You know, their defense has been making plays, scoring on defense, um, creating pressure. It seems authentic. It doesn't seem like it's just a, a flash in the pan. And their offense hasn't really clicked the full cylinder yet. So once they get two and the offense up to the next level, I think they're going to be an even better team. So I definitely think they they're, they have every reason to be a, a, in contention for a playoff spot. I think they, ha they, they can be a playoff team. And I actually wouldn't be shocked if they make a run for the AFC East. So I think this is a team that's on the up and up. And this year, they might get the taste of their fruit, uh, like I said, a year earlier than a lot of people expected. Okay, true contenders, not pretenders. Like to hear it. All right, Cameron, thank you so much for joining us here on The Snap this week. Uh, are we going to be seeing you in Denver this weekend? Unfortunately not because of COVID. We're not traveling, um, so I won't be able to be there. I'm really sad about that because I haven't been back to Denver since I left. So I had this trip circled since the schedule came out, but because of the pandemic, I've got a little baby at home that I'm trying to be a little bit more careful with. So a lot of things going into that, but I'm definitely going to try to get out to Denver whenever I can catch up with some people. And, yeah. Uh, it'll be there. Well, now that we are all up to speed on the Miami Dolphins before this week's matchup, it is time now to switch gears to the long stamp of today's show. And now we have one of the trailblazers for women in the sports industry, director for NFL on CBS, Suzanne Smith. Thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Now, Suzanne, not only are you a six-time Emmy Award winner, but you're currently the only woman directing NFL game television broadcasts. What does that mean to you, and how much does it mean to have this opportunity to pave a path for women in sports? Well, first of all, ladies, thank you very much for having me on. Um, it's a pleasure to talk with you, and it seems like you're doing good things as well. Um, so as far as being the only woman directing NFL games right now, it's... Um, for me, it's a privilege each and every week to get to do a game. I love the NFL. I'm, I'm passionate about it. Um, I love doing live television, and I really think there's not, you know, nothing much better than uh, doing live live sports, and then combine that with the NFL. So every week, you know, I take it as, um, you know, it's it's important. I never take it for for granted, and um, I think it's it's important on many levels. And for me, I'm sure you're familiar with the expression, uh, if you can see her, you can be her. So each and every week, I try to set a good example. Um, and even like, you know, speaking with you ladies that if I'm able to do this, um, so are other women. So in addition to me personally loving doing what I do, I do, you know, find some responsibility in, uh, you know, paving the way for uh, other women and, you know, people in the business. And I don't just... I don't just focus on helping other women. I, you know, I try and help everybody in, in the business. But, you know, I think sometimes if you're, you know, out in the forefront and people see you, it's easier for them to, you know, relate to you a little bit. Now, for those at home listening who might not know, what are your responsibilities as a director for an NFL broadcast? Yes. Yeah, so basically, um, we're in a TV truck, which is outside of the stadium. 
And I sit next to the producer and I'm in the center and then in, in the control room and there's a technical director uh, to my right. And I'm very proud to say it's a female technical director, which there are also very, very few women um, in, in that position. And the simplest way to describe it is it's kind of like organized chaos when you do the game. There's a lot of things going on, a lot of things going on at once. And it's my job to select and put on, put on TV um, or, or make decisions about what you're going to see on TV. So the producer kind of guides the, the broadcast. Like he may say, you know, after this play, if nothing happens, we're going to do a profile on, you know, this player. So the graphics department gets stuff ready, the tape department gets it ready, and then it's my job to decide when and how that that's gonna get on. The stuff that happens live, you know, you can't really plan that, but over the years you've, you've learned, um, you know, if the ball's on the left 20, I'm gonna tell you right now, camera one's gonna be our play-by-play -play camera. So you know that, but then if it's third and 25, you need to set up for a situation where you think it's gonna be a passing situation. Um, or if it's you know, fourth and one at the goal line, it's probably gonna be a running situation, but you need to be prepared for um, a passing situation. So it's my job to try to uh, organize a lot of the pieces of the puzzle and get people in a position to succeed. And I'm very fortunate, the group that we work with, um, we've been working together for a long time and one person is better th than the next and quite frankly, nicer than the next. So you work together as a team, just like anything else. And I have heard other people describe that the job of the director is kind of like the quarterback on the team. So that the producer is kind of like the coach and you know they put the plays in and then the quarterback executes the plays. Well, Suzanne, not only are you a director, but you are also a producer for CBS Sports as well. So take us back to the very beginning before your six Emmy Awards. How did you start down the path to becoming a producer director in this industry? Well, Alexis, I'm glad you asked me that question because I actually have a funny story for you guys that I think you might appreciate. So the year was 1983 and for the Broncos fans out there, there was this quarterback coming out of Stanford who was drafted and he was going to be playing. Yeah, maybe you heard of him. That would have been. Yes. Yeah, so it was the, so I was a production assistant at CBS. I just started. And this was the first NFL, the first NFL game I was going to work was John Elway's first home game at Denver. So we flew from New York and the producer and director were on the plane and the, the announcers and everything. And my job was when we landed, you should go get the car and drive everybody to practice. Um, it was a Friday afternoon practice at the, at the Broncos facility. And we're in the car and now I'm a, I've just started. Okay. This is my first game. So I'm just, I'm driving the car and I'm not saying anything. And all the guys are talking about in the car is John Elway, John Elway, John Elway, John Elway. They, they, they can't stop talking about it. Right. And I don't say a word driving, driving, driving. So now we get to the, um, practice facility and I didn't grow up playing high school football. I didn't play college football and I didn't play in the NFL. So I'm not really that used to being at a NFL practice facility on a Friday afternoon. So we, um, I did go once though when I was a kid, my dad took me to the Giants practice uh, when I was about 12 years old. But in any event, um, so we go there and when we get there, the PR directors come over and some of the coaches and trainers and they're talking to the guys, they're patting each other on the back and shaking hands and doing all that kind of stuff. So I take my little you know, pad of paper and pen and I go all the way down to the end because I really didn't feel like I belonged. I didn't want to you know, do the wrong thing. I didn't want to be out of place. And you know, it was un unfamiliar, unfamiliar to me. So I'm at the end of the field, I'm just 
waiting. And now my next job is going to be to drive these guys back. So practice ends. And when the practice ends, Steve Watson, who you may remember him, was a wide receiver. In college, I was very good friends with him. And he comes running over to the sideline. He gives me this big bear hug and he picks me up because, oh my God, so psyched to see you. I heard you got the job with the CBS. You know, really, really happy. Let me introduce you to my friend, John. So, <laughs> you know, the quarterback and the wide receiver, they're, you know, been practicing all. So now it's Elway, Steve Watson, and myself standing there. And it was just kind of like we were three kids who were just out of college, um, you know, John was five minutes out of college. Steve, I think it was maybe two or three years. I'm not really sure. Um, you know, I, I, I was two, two or three years. And we were, you know, chit-chatting. So now finally the guys come down and, you know, the former uh, players who were, you know, part of our, our crew and announce team. And they come over and they get the PR guy. Then they do the official and, you know, interview John. And, you know, they also want to talk to Steve. So I just kind of, you know, walked away. So I go over and, um, and I get the car. And when we get in the car, one of the guys said to me, you little SOB, you didn't tell us you knew Elway. And now prior to that, they didn't talk to me. Nobody talked to me. Like I was not, maybe I wasn't worthy. I, I don't want to put words in other people's mouths. But it was clear that I was not. And I did not say, oh, I don't know, John. <laughs> I just looked at him and just, just nodded like that. And all of a sudden now I was in. I was in with the guys, I was in with the crew and all that kind of stuff. So it was an interesting lesson that I learned very, you know, very early on in my career because clearly it's a male dominated business is, you know, back in the eighties, you know, even more so um, than now. And, um, you know, it was just, as I said, it was just a lesson that I learned about, you know, human nature and what people do. And I thought, you know what? I am not telling these guys that I don't know them, <laughs> that I don't know that I don't know John, because clearly I knew Steve. And also, I think that they were irritated that I knew Steve Watson, and I didn't tell them. Right. I feel like saying you guys didn't talk to me. <laughs> so, anyway, it's a classic example of it's not always what you know. It's very important, but sometimes it's who you know in this business as well. Exactly. I love it. Well, you mentioned it being a male-dominated industry, so obviously that has to come along with some challenges. What have been some of the biggest challenges that you faced and have overcome? Right. Um, you know, the, the, the list is long. Um, you know, so when I started, I was young, I was female and I was gay. And I don't think in the job description at the time that they had any of those three things, things listed. Um, but the advantage was I had a tremendous amount of TV experience when, when I started. And I also think an advantage for me was that I was an athlete. Um, so I played a lot of sports and went to college on an athletic scholarship. One of the reasons I knew Steve. Volleyball, um, right? Exactly. Wow, you guys did your homework. Good, good for you. So I think a lot of those skills, you know, carry over. So what I just always tried to do was keep my head down and, and forge ahead. And, you know, little things happened. Um, along the way where people be like, oh, who's your father or who are you sleeping with or how could you have possibly gotten this job? And I just think stuff like that, you just have to like, you know, let it, you know, roll over your shoulders. Um, and then a couple things did happen that actually affected my career. So um, I was a production assistant hoping to get promoted to um, an associate director. And it's a big deal. Like you, 
it's a better job. Um, your salary basically doubled. You got health insurance and, and all this kind of stuff. So it was, uh, it was clear that I was the next person to get promoted. So in any event, that afternoon, the promotion came out and I didn't get the job. This other guy got the job. So I went into my boss's office at the time and I said to him, you know, I'm a little, little confused here. And uh, he said to me, no, no, you're right. You deserve the job. You were really the, you know, best, you know, best, best candidate, but his wife is pregnant and he really needs this more than you do. <laughs> so I see both of your eyes got, your eyes got big. Um, now this was back in the eighties. The culture at CBS has changed enormously. Um, the culture in the country has changed, changed a lot, but stuff like that happened. And, um, you know, as I said, the, the little things you, 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 you kind of let them go. Um, some things you can't let them go. I was, um, at this point I was directing, but it was, it, it was quite some, some time ago. And, um, we were in the lunchroom during, during the meal break before the game. And I had my back to another table of guys. They're sitting around and, you know, they say boys will be boys and, you know, the guys conversations and stuff. So I oftentimes would just stay away from those conversations and, and not get, get involved. But at the, the time they were having a conversation about there was a camera operator who was transitioning. And this person said, oh, oh, those trans people, they're disgusting. They're this and that and everything. And he said, all the gays deserve to die. And so now I'm like, okay, I can't let that go. No. So I got up and I turned around and I, you know, and I said something to the guy. I don't, I don't remember exactly what I said at first and, and I was shocked. And so now it was one of these where like, he stood up and I was standing up and we were kind of going back and forth. And I said to him, I said, you realize you just said, you think that I deserve to die? He goes, no, 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 I didn't say that you're different. I said, no, no, I, I'm not here. So it was also in one way, it was kind of nice for me because all the guys in my crew, they started gathering around me, you know, like you would to protect somebody. And, you know, they were very supportive of me, you know, personally and, and, and professionally. Um, so in any event, as, uh, as time went on, you know, I said to the guy, I said, look, I, you're an adult. I can't tell you what to do um, or, or how to live your life. I said, but you have children. So hopefully you don't pass along this hate, you know, to, to your children. And that affected my job that day, certainly. I, I walked in the TV truck and my technical director, he said to me, he said, are you okay? And I said, not really. He said, yeah. He said, I heard what happened. So I said, I tell you what, I'm going to go out and just take a walk around the field. So I went outside, I, I walked around the field, um, you know, to calm myself down. So, yeah, so, yeah, so, so stuff like that, that has happened. And um, Leslie Visser, who you may be familiar with her, and if you're not, you, sh you should be familiar with her. An expression that she uses that, um, that I've taken from her is the passion outweighed the struggles. And I think when you think of it, when you think of it like that, um, you know, that made the difference. And if you have time, I have one more story for you. I just, this one just popped into my head. Because when you're, you know, when you're starting, I think, I don't know, people pick on you a little, a little bit more. Um, so it was surprising to me. I was um, also, this kind of relates to Denver. The, when I first became a full-time director, I was directing this other guy who played in your town. His name was Peyton something. Um, 
One one eight maybe is it? Yeah, maybe you heard of him. Okay. <laughs> Fanning, rhymes with Fanning. Right, right, very good. You ladies are good. You've done your homework. <laughs> so anyway, before his success in Denver, he was in Indianapolis. So I'm super psyched doing his first game ever, and um, I'm now a full time director and you know, really happy about it. So we have our production meeting, and in our production meeting, the producer runs the the meeting. And he goes, you know, through all the stuff that we're going to do, goes through the graphics, goes through the tapes, goes through the schedule, you know, everything. So at the end of the meeting, the um, announcer who I'd never worked with before, our, our analyst, he says to me, so when are you going to come and iron my shirts? On camera. And I said, uh, never? <laughs> exactly. I said, I'm sorry. I said, I'd be, as the, as the director, now he had to know who I was in this room. Um, as the director, I'm happy to tell you what shirt and tie will look best on camera with the jacket that you're wearing because we had the CBS Blazers. Um, we don't want your shirt but, dancing. And what? We don't want your shirt dancing, so. Exactly, right. exactly. Um, you know, that's part of my job. I'm happy to help to see how you look. I said, but in regard to getting your shirts ironed, I said, you can call the concierge. And at that point, I'm like, you got to be kidding me, right? <laughs> like, so you fought this hard, you become a full-time director, you're doing this game, and this is, you know, what people say. But I think you can't, you can't change what people think and, and what they do. Um, and, you know, a lot of, especially young people, but even, you know, people along the way ask me how you, how you change that. And I say, you can't change it. I just think you need to work as hard as you can and get the respect of the people around you. And that means respecting them as well. Um, and if you do that and you go back and forth, then you, you will be successful. So that was a long answer to your, your short question there. No, but we appreciate the insight. Yeah, Suzanne, thanks so much for sharing all of those stories with us. And throughout all of those experiences you just mentioned, what's one piece of advice you would give really anyone in this industry, no matter what area they work in? Yeah, I think it's it's very difficult to get your foot in the door right now because it's so competitive and there's so many talented people out there. But the reverse of that is that there's so many more opportunities. I mean, for example, we're doing a podcast now. When you know when I started, there was no such thing as, as podcasts, um, and we're on Zoom. And who knows, you know, pre-COVID, how many people really knew about Zoom? Um, so there are there are other opportunities out there. And one of the things that immediately impressed me about you two ladies is that you're prepared. Um, people listening to this don't know this, but I had to change our schedule, you know, a half a dozen times. And each and every time you both said, no problem, we'll work it out. So you were, you were professional, you were respectful, you know, of me and you were, you were flexible. And in addition, you're prepared. So you need to be prepared. Um, you know, I tell people work hard, work as hard as you can and then work harder and stuff will happen you, you you will get a break the way i directed my first show ever was because somebody got sick and you know you don't ever want somebody to get sick but when i got the opportunity to get into the chair i was prepared and i now i was nervous <laughs> and not you know not super confident but so you need to be prepared and don't, don't expect somebody to hand you a job. Like I've had people say, oh, you know, my son likes sports, can you get him a job? I'm like, okay. And then if I, you know, talk to somebody, I'll say to them, well, where did you apply? And they look, well, I haven't applied anywhere. So 
because your father asked me, I should get your job. So apply for every and any job. Don't ever say no to anything. I mean, I have gotten coffee for people, you know, driven people around, literally in the rain, you know, dug ditches, you know, for, for cables and, you know, gotten muddy. So, you know, get your hands dirty and work hard, but do what you ladies did, come prepared, do your homework and, you know, know what you want. And don't be afraid to take chances. Um, you know, you really, it, it, it's tricky because you don't want to, you know, push the envelope too far sometimes, but if you don't take chances, you know, I always say high risk is high reward. Um, and even when I'm directing a broadcast, like sometimes I'll take a chance on a, on a shot or a play or, or moving camera, and then you get that great shot, you know, with it. So if you didn't take the chance, you won't do it. Now, sometimes if you do too high risk, you may suffer for it. Um, you know, so you have to, you know, you have to be able to, to balance it, but you know, just, so don't be, don't be afraid to take chances. And, you know, in, in meetings, especially in my earlier days, you, you would sit around and, um, you know, the producer would, would talk, the executive producer would talk. And, and as the production assistant, I would never say a word. And oftentimes, like, they would say, you know, what do you think about this? And I would have an idea. And, the, you know, Joe Schmo would say it and be like, I thought the same thing. But I didn't have the confidence to, to say that. You know? Right. So don't be afraid to speak up and don't be afraid to fail because if somebody, you know, in the room asks a question and you're not really sure, throw it out there, you know, and you know, it's, it's, Very it's cliche, but people say there's no wrong answers. Um, it, it's true. So. Why do you think that there are so few women in your role, not only for NFL broadcasts, but across all networks and really all leagues? I did. First of all, here's the answer. I don't know the answer. Okay. Uh, but I've been asked this question a lot. I believe that a couple things have to happen. I've never had a female boss. Okay. I've been at CBS since 1983 and I worked in the TV business before that. I had so much experience before I started. Um, so I've never had a female boss. And I do think it's just human nature. Like if I'm talking with you guys or interviewing you guys, if gals, if I was interviewing somebody else and everything was equal, equal, I would probably have a tendency to hire you before then. So the same thing happens with these guys. And it's true. Like they start talking about playing golf or they start talking about like these frat boy movies that, you know, that, that they watched. Um, you know, if I hear about Animal House one more time, I'm just like, <laughs> <laughs> so, but I think what happens is it, it's human nature. So you gravitate towards somebody. So assuming everybody's qualified and then you hire that person and then maybe, if they're not even qualified as qualified, they might, they might hire that person. So I think that needs to change. In addition with the female boss, and again, I said, if you can see her, you can be her, you can say, oh, I can do that job. Okay. You know, I see Suzanne does that job. I see Lindsay does that job. I see Sydney does that job. So you can believe more that, that, that you can do it. And then you get more women to help one another. So I think the, the pipeline, there need to be, there needs to be um, more women in the pipeline. I don't know why, um, I don't really understand it, but more women produce and produce tape shows than direct or produce live shows. So like at NBC, for example, their, their Olympic unit is, um, is run by Molly Solomon, um, who's actually, she runs a, a lot of NBC sports. And um, Rebecca Chapman actually runs the Olympic unit. So these are women in high profile jobs and they have a lot of feature producers and the feature producers tend to be women. Um, 
and I, I don't know. So maybe when you figure out the answer to that question, you can, you can let me know. <laughs> or when you figure it out, you can call me because I am just so, so curious. Suzanne, I think I can speak on behalf of Sydney when I say that we are just so grateful to have had this opportunity to meet you and learn more about your amazing journey. Thank you so much for being just such an amazing role model for us women in sports. Oh, you ladies really are terrific and I wish you the best and to all your listeners out there. Well, sadly, that is all the time we have for this week's edition of The Snap. Another big thank you to ESPN's Cameron Wolf and the amazing Suzanne Smith for joining us here on The Snap. For Sydney Jones, I'm Alexis Perry. We will see you guys right back here on the Broncos Podcast Network and the Broncos YouTube channel next week.